Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Old Head, the 33rd episode of Old Head. Seems like I've done more, but I guess that that sounds about right, 33 episodes. Um, And this one's going to be kind of personal. And I hear some of you out there saying, Stephen, all of these episodes are pretty personal, but this one is going to be even more so, because this one is going to be kind of a love letter, I guess, more of a resignation letter. Like, I'm putting in my two weeks notice, because in less than two weeks, I will be moving to a new city, which is weird because I have spent 42 years of my life living in Austin, Texas, which, you know, since I was born. I was born in 1978, you know, right smack dab in the middle of Austin, Texas, and I've lived in or around Austin, Texas for my entire life. And in less than two weeks, I will be moving to an even bigger city, Houston, Texas, one of the biggest cities in the world, I think. I don't know. It's a big, big fucking city. Um, and it's a and it's a big change for me. But I feel like it's one that is happening at the right time because Austin has never completely felt like my home. Like I know a lot of people, they take a lot of pride in where they're from. And for some reason, that kind of thing never clicked with me. And it especially didn't click with me when I was a kid because, I don't know, what kid really has pride in where they're from? Because you don't really have a firm grasp on what that even means. I mean, to me, when I was a kid, Austin, Texas was just University of Texas football games and barbecue and and Willie Nelson, uh, all things that didn't necessarily make me feel like I lived anywhere cool or anywhere that I was quote-unquote proud of. Now, you could take some other person and the three things that I just said, they'd be like, fuck yeah, I'm proud to live here. But, you know, that wasn't me. I I didn't really start getting to know the city that I lived in until really I was in high school. And even then, by that point, I had become a very big music fan and a metalhead, and getting to know Austin was really just me getting to know where to go to get music and to see bands. And so the the Austin that a lot of people know and love isn't necessarily the Austin that I got to know, because I, I don't give a shit about football, and I, I'm not really that big of a barbecue fan. Um, and honestly, I think Willie Nelson is kind of boring. I mean, the guy seems cool, and but you know that's just not the kind of music I listen to. Obviously, um, same goes with like Stevie Ray Vaughan. People fucking love that dude. That dude's not—he's not even from Austin. Well, neither is Willie. I don't even know why that's a thing here, but whatever. I think it's because Austin, Texas, was known as the live music capital of the world. It may still be known as that, but if you hear anybody say that, you can tell them from me that they are full of shit, because that is not what it is here anymore. But in high school, when you were first starting to get to know the city, it was exciting because you would hear about all these clubs, 
some of which you had to be uh, 21 to get into, that you know you had to wait. But there was all these great venues for music, and there were all these great record stores. And me and my friends in high school used to spend a lot of time on an area of a street that was called The Drag. The Drag was part of a street called Guadalupe, and it was literally right next to the UT campus, the University of Texas uh, campus, the college. Um, and um, there was a lot of cool shit going on around that area, mostly record stores, but also there was a really cool little Chinese food stand we went to all the time, and um, there was a, a cool little arcade that was kind of underground. And, you know, I don't know, it, the vibe of that place when I was in high school was interesting because it was some college students, some sort of like punk rock street people. And then, you know, weird sort of like Scientology people. There was a Scientology office on the drag. And at one point me and my friends went in there and took their little weird quiz that asked kind of the same questions in like three different ways um, it's actually questions that if you ever hear the song Land of Sunshine by Faith No More, Mike Patton took some lyrics from that same quiz that we took. So when I was taking the quiz and one of the questions was, do you often sing or whistle just for fun? I'm like, holy shit, whoa, whoa, this is, this is a fucking Faith No More lyric. So clearly that's where he got it. But it was, it was weird. And really we only did it because they, they, they promised us free food, which we got. And they tried to, to to keep us there longer, and we're like, no, nah, no, nah, we got we got stuff to go do, and we did. So what we did on the drag, most of all, was looking at the record stores, and there were three record stores that we would kind of bounce back and forth between. Um, one of them was Tower Records. There was a really big, well, I say two story, but the second story was like classical, but you know, it was a really big Tower Records, um, and then. There was a used CD store, the first of its kind, as far as I know, in Austin, that was called Technophilia, and that was the place that really opened the doors to me discovering a lot of music, because you could go in there, they had all sorts of rock and metal. It was a really small room, too, but it, you know, it, all the walls were, were lined with CDs, and I just went in there, and you would take piles of stuff, like, oh, I'm going to listen to these these bands that have cool logos or weird looking cover art, and you would just go to a little CD player that they had in the middle of the room and you'd put on some headphones and you'd listen to CDs and leave there with a few of them and, and find some new cool bands. So that place was very important. And then last but not least was the record store Sound Exchange, which was on a little corner. And if you've ever seen, there's this image from Austin, Texas, where you have the Hi, How Are You is it a frog? I don't fucking know. The Daniel Johnson thing. Um, it, that It's on the side of the building that used to be Sound Exchange, but that's not there anymore. I mean, there's only a few record stores in Austin now, but all of the, the ones on the drag are now gone. The drag has totally changed. We'll get to that. But anyway, so Sound Exchange was cool because it was kind of a cool little indie record store. They sometimes had shows there, even though they just had to put the band in a little fucking corner because the place wasn't very big. But... That was more of a place where you would go if you were looking for some local shit. I remember I got the very first Spoon EP on cassette, the Nefarious EP, and I fucking loved it. I'm not that big on Spoon now, but but it was, that was the sort of thing you could find. It, bands would put their shit on consignment, 
And for those of you who don't know what consignment means, it's basically like a band would bring their CD or cassette or whatever into the store and they would have an agreement with the store that basically said, you know, we'll sell your product at the store, but the store gets a cut of the money and then you get whatever's left. But, you know, making money wasn't really the point. It was about getting your shit out there. And so, you know, we were able to discover some, you know, local bands that way. But we spent so much time just bouncing back and forth between those record stores. And we would get dropped off by my friend's parents and we would spend hours, you know. And, and it's, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that now, like, I, I can't spend that long in a record store. Like, I know kind of what I'm looking for. I've gotten to that point now where just thumbing through everything doesn't really bring me the joy that it used to because I've got a lot of shit that I want. So I'm looking for specific shit. But back then, it was all about discovery. And so you would look through everything, every inch of the fucking store. So you needed hours and hours to look through shit. Anyway, so that was hanging out down on the drag. Those were amazing record stores. Um, Another record store in Austin that was a big deal to me later on was another used CD store called Cheapos. And Cheapos was just a much larger version of what Technophilia was. It was it was massive, and there was just used CDs everywhere you could look. And I got a lot of cool shit at that place, too. But aside from shopping for music, you also could go out and see music. And eventually, once I was able to get out and start going to shows, a lot of the shows that came through that I wanted to go to were at a venue that was called Liberty Lunch. And Liberty Lunch was a place that, I don't know, maybe it fit a thousand people. Maybe it was more like five to eight hundred. I don't know. It didn't seem like a very big place, but, you know, it was the place that all the shows came. I mean, it's the fucking place that Nirvana came through on the Nevermind tour in 1991. And the first show that I ever saw there, funny enough, was Veruca Salt and the Muffs, um, which is, I mean, those are both bands that. I, I liked at the time, but, you know, I, I don't necessarily follow them much anymore. Um, and then very quickly after that, it might have even been the very next weekend, um, I went to go see a, a, a punk band called Face to Face at at Liberty Lunch. But it seemed like everything was coming to that venue. I mean, I saw uh, Henry Rollins' spoken word at Liberty Lunch. I saw No Effects. Um, I saw The Descendants. I saw Weezer on their Pinkerton tour. So yeah, this was all in the mid-90s that that these shows were coming through. But Liberty Lunch was the place that, you know, a lot of these shows were coming to. But there was another club that originally was 21 and up called Emos. And Emos is where a lot of the edgier bands seem to be going. Um, And I don't remember how old I was. It may have been around the time I turned 18 where all of a sudden Emos lowered its uh, age to 18 and then it went all ages, or maybe it was 18 to 20, fuck, I, it doesn't matter. Uh, whatever it was, I wasn't able to go, and then all of a sudden I was. And that became the big place to go. And Emo's was on 6th Street, and 6th Street is like the entertainment district for Austin. And it kind of sucks because there, the way that it was at the time, there was all these music venues and kind of cool bars, but you had a lot of college kids... And it, I don't know. It, it was one of those things where it was music 
everywhere with some cool bars and then slowly but surely from the mid 90s into the 2000s it became mostly shot bars for drunk college frat people and very less music i mean emos isn't even there anymore it moved to a completely different location but at the time there were a lot of cool venues there uh there was uh there was obviously emos there was you know flamingo cantina there was uh bates motel there was uh, Steamboat, which I didn't really go to, but that was down there. Um, Steamboat was a place where a lot of the kind of hip Austin bands, and when I say hip, I don't necessarily mean like underground hip. I mean the bands that were about to break. So like Push Monkey played there. If you don't know Push Monkey, I'll get, I'll get into bands later. But you know, bands that were on their way up seemed to be playing at the Steamboat. But of course, a lot of these places were 21 and up because there was booze involved. And so for a while there, I, I wasn't able to go to a lot of the shows, but I did see a lot of local bands on uh, the local cable access television stations, which I spoke about, I think, on the last episode. I think I've, I've mentioned them on a few episodes. There were uh, a couple shows on, I think at that point it was Cable Channel 10, um, and one of them was called Capsize. The other one was called Raw Time. Both were produced and hosted by a guy named Dave Pruitt. And Capsize was more of a showcase of local bands or sometimes just bands that were coming through town and, and agreed to be on the show. Um, there was a lot of live performances. And then Raw Time, as I've spoken about a couple times, I think, that was more of a music video show that focused on a lot of shit that you probably weren't going to see on MTV. But those were very important shows alongside like Headbangers Ball and things like that. But um, it was cool to watch Capsize and Raw Time because it was connected to the city that I lived in. And I was getting to know, oh, there's there's all these all these bands, you know, and and like there was a lot like the the boom of music in in Austin, Texas was probably the biggest around I guess 93, 94-ish, but it seemed like that was a time where you just saw a lot of bands and you would hear about bands getting getting record deals, some with major record labels. And so it really seemed like the town was was alive with music. And so that's around the time that if you say Austin is the live music capital of the world, I'd be like, well, yeah, it was. It for fucking sure was because any night of the week, you go out and you could see probably a hundred different bands playing live. From everything from metal to punk to cover bands to dudes just hanging out on the street playing their guitar for money. And pretty soon, I was in one of those bands. I, I started playing in my first band when I was 17, and I think... I got to the point where I was finally like gigging around town when I was maybe 18 or 19, I think. The very first show that I ever played that wasn't in somebody's garage was at a place called the Eco Action Warehouse, which really was a recycling plant that put up a stage and put on shows. Um, and then after that, you know, we would play shows at a place called Flamingo Cantina. Um, and then later on down the road, there was a place called The Back Room, which The Back Room was also another big venue in Austin. I don't know why I left that out earlier, but that was the one where a lot of the metal bands played. And then later on, it became more of a punk kind of venue because I, I was in a quote unquote punk rock band. 
But before I got to that point, you know, playing actual venues, it was all just wherever a show would get put on. And so obviously you were playing at people's houses a lot. Um, sometimes they would put on these punk fests, which was really like somebody, whoever th- was putting on the festival, I say festival, it was a small affair, but they would rent out like a VFW hall for an entire day. And you would go in there and you would see, I don't know, 15 bands throughout the day, starting at around noon, ending, you know, midnight or whatever. And usually those things, even though they were called punk fests, there was a lot of different vibes going on because you would see metal bands there. You would see hardcore punk bands. You would see straight up punk bands. Um, You might see some emo bands. You would see some pop punk um, you would see ska. That was a big thing that was starting to come up, the sort of ska punk thing that was going on. But it was it was just fun. And I don't know, it was one of those things where, where, I don't know, it felt like you were part of something because there were all these people and some of them you knew and some of them you didn't. But we were all sort of there watching all these different bands that were all our age. You know, they were all doing the same shit we were doing, but we're all just kind of supporting each other. And some of my favorite bands from Austin would play these punk fests. I mean, you had there was a band called Sap, and they were like a noise rock band, but they were really fucking good. Um, you had a band called Fourth Grade Nothing, which was straight up pop punk a la Green Day. Some of you may have heard a song by Fourth Grade Nothing. They have a song that I think plays in the beginning credits of the movie Biodome. That was kind of their their big thing. It did it didn't take off, <laughs> but. Uh, but, you know, we were rooting for them. Um, there was a band called Direction that was like a hardcore band. Like, hardcore before the kids started doing stupid windmill shit in the crowd. Like, it was that kind of music, but kids hadn't gotten stupid yet. Um, and then, I don't know, if now that we're talking about it... Um, so there were other bands that I really loved. Um, there was a, a ska band called Gals Panic. And I must have seen them like 50 times... Um, but it was like ska punk, but they were kind of weird. They were almost like a cross between Operation Ivy and Devo. Like it was, but they were a lot of fun. Um, and then of course, uh, you, some of you may have heard of the band, the impossibles, which was a, a ska punk band from Austin. And the big thing with them was that my buddy, uh, Pat was their drummer who actually was the drummer of one of my early bands. Um, unfortunately Pat passed away, uh, shit, five, is it going, is it five years ago, four years ago? Um, anyway, I didn't mean to get, (laughs) I didn't mean to go down that, that, uh, fucking, uh, road, but yeah, um, Pat was a great guy, um, and he was a really great energetic drummer, and it was fun being in a band with him, and, and I always, I always supported the Impossibles, because that was kind of his, his big thing, though, that was the band he was off touring with, you know, the band he was in with me, we were just a bunch of fucking morons kind of trying to do this sort of fat wreck punk kind of thing and not really doing it very well. But, you know, while we're talking about, you know, cool Austin bands, I have to mention Crown Roast, another sort of noise rock band, Ed Hall, I guess they fall into the same category, Starfish, Starfish was great. They were kind of more on the alternative tip, but they were also pretty noisy. Noise rock was was a big thing in Austin. Like, if you really wanted to drill down on what the best shit was when I was going to shows in Austin in the 90s, it was mostly the noise rock bands that 
made the biggest impact on me. And as I've mentioned probably a few times before, you know, I I wanted to play metal, but I wasn't good enough to play it. And and along with that, a lot of the people that I knew that were also playing music, they didn't want to play metal. I, I had a lot of good friends that were in a metal band called Entropy. I talked about them on the podcast episode called First Shows. And they were metal. They were really good, but they quickly changed you know, went down more of a punk route. And so once I started playing music, there weren't a lot of metal bands. There were established metal bands, but if you met somebody your age that was playing music, they didn't want to play metal. So I quickly had to sort of adapt and be like, all right, well, maybe we could do a punky, grungy thing. And then, you know, once we got into the sort of skate punk, fat record sound, we, we went down that route. And then before I knew it, the the circles that my band was sort of running in were were all sort of filled with this sort of pop punk i'd like to say it's like post green day even fucking post blink 182 um sort of time period but to be fair as much as that music didn't resonate with me and hasn't really carried on with me a lot of those people that i met in those bands were really great people they, they were the people that seemed to have our backs, like as in the band that I was in, more than anybody else. And some of the big ones, um, Dynamite Boy was a, was a big punk band here. Ridland Kids. Ridland Kids got a fucking major label deal and went off and did, I think, two records and then got dropped, unfortunately. But um, there was a band called Pop Unknown. Those guys were really fucking great. Cruiserweight. Cruiserweight was a great band. A band that I really loved that wasn't necessarily as big as the others was a band called Shaft El Grupo de Rock. Um, they they were fucking great. They were more like on the jawbreaker side of punk, and I was really into that. But we were all small bands in the same boat, some of us having more success than others, but we were all pretty much local. Some were touring, some weren't really. Um, but these were all people who just seemed to be open to whatever. Like, I don't remember there being any sort of divide of like, well, you can't be into this kind of music or this kind of music. They just seemed really cool. And on top of that, all the bullshit that I did throughout my life, like I've, I went through being in different bands to doing shit on my own where I was trying to record my own music, you know, and and put it out by myself. A lot of these people were the ones that were the most receptive and made me feel like I wasn't completely wasting my fucking time. And on top of that, I think the biggest crowd I ever played for was opening for Dynamite Boy. I think it was Dynamite Boy. I'm pretty sure it was. But we were the first out of three, I think. The band I was in at that point was called Greyline. G-R-E-Y-L-I-N-E. Good luck finding anything out there. <laughs> but, you know, we played to like a half-packed room at the back room, which was... I don't know, had to have been a good couple hundred people, I think. And so that that was pretty fucking great. Um, other other cool shows that I played in that band, we actually got to open uh, for Minus the Bear at one point. We opened for Q and Not You. All of these sort of post-punk bands, because that's kind of where we ended up. We started off more pop-punk and ended up more post-punk, which, I mean, it was fun to play, but I have to fucking admit that... Even when I was in that band and the bands that I've been in, 
you know, I'm traveling in my car to go to band practice to play this post-punk music, and what am I listening to in the car? And Justice for All. Because that's that's just what I felt, and that's what I wanted to play, but that wasn't what was happening in Austin, Texas in the late 90s, early 2000s. But even then, there was still... There was still a little bit of excitement happening in the Austin music scene because you had, in the late 90s, bands like Push Monkey that got signed, and those guys put out a fucking killer record. You can probably find it on Spotify or uh, or Apple Music or whatever, but their self-titled album that was actually recorded by Mike Klink, who fucking produced Megadeth and Guns N' Roses, he produced their their major label debut, and I think it's fucking great even today. Um, also, you had Seed. Seed was a great local band that got signed to a major and unfortunately went nowhere. That was kind of the thing for a lot of Austin bands. Um, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead. They're, they're a fucking amazing band. And when they got signed up, that was a big deal. I guess they experienced a good amount of sort of mid-level success. But, I mean, if you want to go back in the day, Dangerous Toys were from Austin, Texas. That's pretty fucking sweet. I'm sorry if I'm rambling, folks. This is just what this podcast episode is. It's me rambling. Um, So, where was I? Oh, yeah, Dangerous Toys. Um, You had a band called Pariah. They were kind of like a hard rock band that got signed up in the mid-90s or early 90s, I think. Obviously, I already mentioned Spoon. Um, Probably the biggest one when it comes to, you know, hit singles from Austin would have been Fastball. Um, I mean, they had Stone Cold fucking radio hits. So, you know, they came from Austin. But like a lot of bands from Austin, I don't know if Fastball left, but a lot of bands would get signed up to majors and then they would move out of Austin, which makes a lot of fucking sense because Austin, as cool as Austin is, it almost seemed like there was a weird barrier. Like, yeah, you're an Austin musician, and that means that you are only an Austin musician. <laughs> and so that, that was the boat that I was in. It was like you were you were kind of stuck playing around in the same clubs. And I, I had some great times. I was in several different bands up until about, I don't know, four or five years ago. I was playing in, in different bands, and most of the time it was me fronting the band, writing the songs, you know, trying to make something fucking happen and and time and time again shit would just fall apart and so after a while you know it just became not fun anymore especially because the music scene in Austin kind of crumbled and sure there's still bands and there's still venues but for the most part I don't know there's not a lot of options there's not uh, if you're gonna play especially the kind of shit that I want to play if you're not an established band, you play kind of hole-in-the-wall places where nobody really goes to see a new band because that's not what happens anymore. And I think part of that happened because there was this tech boom in the 90s where uh, Dell computers became a big thing and all these people from different parts of the country and the world all moved here. And then all of a sudden it became... I, I mean, I want to say it was a melting pot, but it really wasn't. It seemed like it was just a lot of the same kind of people all moved to Austin, and none of them really wanted to go out to see live music. And so very quickly, it almost seemed like Austin lost its identity, and it's never gotten it back. There are a lot of people that live here that want to 
fly that keep Austin weird flag. But usually the people that try to fly that flag are really not very unique. They're usually just yuppies who also happen to be vegan (laughs) or some shit like that. And so, you know, that brings us out on the other end to now, where I'm about to move from my hometown and move to a bigger city. And honestly, it's pretty exciting because I just feel like it's time to go. And I don't have a lot that's keeping me here. My wife's family is from Houston, so that's kind of a, an, an incentive to move there. And honestly, I'm bringing the best thing that happened to me in Austin with me, my daughter, who is now nine years old. So we're just kind of moving as a family unit to this new city. And I'm, I'm pretty excited because there's not a lot left for me here. I don't have close friends. Um, I have a lot of friends that I've known for a long time that now are just kind of Facebook friends. And sure, I still care about a lot of them. And I still want to know how they're doing. And maybe, you know, here and there, I might have ended up going to hang out with them. But I'm not really a going out kind of person. And honestly, the one thing that I would like to go out to do, which is going to see shows, is pretty aggravating in Austin, Texas. And plus, there's better metal in Houston, you know. And so... I don't know. It's it's time to go. And I'm bringing a good amount of great memories with me. I mean, I played a lot of fucking shows here. Um, everything ranging to, like I said, playing to a few hundred people all the way down to playing to just the bartenders <laughs> at the fucking club. And, and on top of that, other things, mostly from being younger, like I talked about hanging out on the drag, going to see clerks, when it came out um, at a place called the Doby Mall Theater, which was this tiny little mall underneath this big dorm building for the UT campus. And the theater was so small. I remember I, I saw clerks in a theater that fit maybe 50 people, and the movie screen was smaller than most people's TVs these days. So that was pretty interesting. But I just remember seeing that movie and then leaving it, and I, I came back... It may have been the next weekend, but I almost feel like it was the next day. And I brought like other friends of mine to see it. And I ended up bringing my brother to see it. Still one of my favorite movies, but that's a really great memory. And, you know, I saw a lot of fucking great shows. I have a lot of cool memories about hanging out at this cool uh, bar that was called The Ritz down on 6th Street. And it always seemed to me like a fucking place where vampires would hang out. So, of course, I fucking felt like I fit right in there. But for the most part, that wasn't really... Austin, Texas. Unfortunately, I'm not bringing a lot with me when it comes to what Austin was or what it's meant to me because it, I, I just never really connected with it. And now, I don't know, even musically speaking, Austin is just fucking filled with ironic metal or stoner doom shit bands. Too many of them. That's what metal is in Austin now. Metal in Austin is metal that's made by people who probably would rather be playing country (laughs) or what they would call outlaw country. They'll be like, I like old, I like Waylon and Willie. I also like Black Sabbath. And I'm like, you are goddamn boring. 
And that's Austin. <laughs> anyway, um, I hope you have enjoyed this sort of rambling tumble down memory lane. Um, but yeah, so I'm saying goodbye to my hometown. And you know what's kind of cool, though? I, I have to say this. There is a, a local talk radio show um, on KLBJ FM here in Austin, Texas, that's called The Dudley and Bob with Matt Show. And this is a show that's been around in some incarnation since like the early 90s. And um, if you tune into that show now, they even have a podcast. You can listen to the show even if you don't live in Austin. If you tune into that show, you're going to hear me doing the theme song to that show before it starts every fucking day. And that's pretty fucking sweet. So yeah, that was a thing where they had a theme song contest and I entered and I fucking won. So now you hear me on that show every day. It's a pretty good fucking show. If you like that sort of free form, just sort of talking about whatever kind of shit, um, it's, it's a great show, but it's almost like, it's almost poetic in a way that I'm leaving Austin and hopefully for a while that show will continue and they will decide to continue to use my theme song. So, you know, aside from, you know, my family being here. Oh, did I mention that? <laughs> I have I have I have family here. Um clearly I've never been super close with my family because this is the first time I've mentioned them. Took me almost 34 minutes to mention that. Anyway, so yeah, it's it's very cool that I'm I'm exiting my hometown, but people are still going to hear from me every weekday for, you know, for a little while. I don't know. Ra radio is such a weird medium where it's, it, it seems like it's been dying for almost 20 years now. And it's some, some shows and stations are still hanging on, but anyway, <laughs> I'm, it's like, a, it's like, that was like a mini ramble inside of an entire episode that was just rambling. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to fucking get out of here. <laughs> so thank you for listening to me ramble. Of course, after I move, I'm still going to continue doing podcasts and doing my YouTube channel. In fact, it might even get more interesting because I think I'll have a lot more opportunities to get out and go to record stores and go to shows and, you know, maybe it'll open things up for me a little bit. And you know what? I, I don't see anything but great things ahead in the city of Houston, Texas. And so in parting, I would like to say to Austin, Texas, it's been something. <laughs> so, all right. If you've made it this far, you are a trooper and I truly appreciate it. Thank you for listening and I will see you all again very soon.